What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie Wagner, my co-host, as always, Charles W. Carpenter III. Our guest today is our longest tenured employee, Rob Carey. How's it going, guys? Swell, thank you. I don't know, maybe tell everybody a little bit about yourself, Rob. Uh, yeah, so I am Rob. Um, I've been a full-stack JavaScript engineer for close to 10 years now. Um, I've worked at everything from uh, really small startups with only you know maybe a dozen employees to giant companies with thousands of employees and worked on all kinds of applications and done a bunch of fun stuff and every framework from React to Ember to Dojo even. So, yeah. Yeah, I see you're wearing your Viori shirt. What's better, Viori or Lulu? <laughs> if you're just sitting around the house, Viori all day. But if you got to get some stuff done, that Lulu has the extra durability, I think. So it really just depends. Mm. Yeah, fair. Well, there goes our Viori sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob is working with Lulu right now. so Yeah, yeah he's obligated. Um, let's get to the first order of business. Yeah. Which is today's whiskey. This would be the Widow Jane. Uh, this is from a rye mash. Uh, it's the only important differentiation I can note from their website. They won't tell us the mash bill. Nobody seems to know yeah. it, but it's, it's between definitely be rye and 100% rye. Yeah, it's probably fairly high rye if they're going to say rye. Uh, and these are uh, aged in oak and applewood. So I don't know if that's two different barrels or just one with a mix of staves, but alas, here I, we go. I know that. Okay. It is uh, oak barrels that were used for 10 years to make previ- make whiskey previously, and then applewood staves added in. Oh, okay. So it's like the Maker's 46 process. Now, how important is this limestone mineral water? Well, well... If you ask anyone, uh, any distillery in Kentucky, they will tell you that's what makes Kentucky whiskeys different, is that the limestone that is like a natural part of those resources. This is from New York, so wouldn't they say it's A trash? legendary Rosendale limestone. Yeah, I mean, that's something else to, to behold, I guess. But I'm just saying that that's the marketing behind like a lot of mm. Kentucky whiskeys is saying like, well, our limestone is why it's different. So, mm, okay. And, okay. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Should we try it? Yeah, yeah. I smell a lot of apple. Hmm. Mine feels almost watered down or something. That's what I was thinking. I was like, is it my ice? Mm-hmm. Has it been sitting too long? Could be. Yeah, there's not a lot of burn. So, I'm going to say it's not 100% rye because um, <laughs> it doesn't have much spiciness. It does have a little bit of a spicy finish. See if I can yeah. taste any of that apple wood. Yeah. I'm smelling an apple-y kind of cinnamony. Uh, I get a little like apple cider vinegar early more yeah. than like apple pie. Yeah, I'm thinking apple, but I'm not tasting apple. Yeah. <laughs> it does taste a little bit fruity in general, almost like like a sangria that you really watered down and then put rye whiskey in. <laughs> Like, mm, that would be a different way to approach it, I think. Which sounds delicious, you know. Mm, yeah. It's almost like a slight bitter note, too, in the finish for me. Leaves a little bitter. We give this like a four tentacles, I think. Yeah. This is out of eight tentacles? Yeah. This is out of eight. Yeah. Out of eight tentacles. I'm going to say a five. Five tentacles. All right. Well, you know, as as our tenure through these episodes has gone on i feel that our judgment has become a bit more harsh like oh now we've tried more <laughs> but a yeah. wider context of things and we were maybe generous with some six and sevens early on we're like then we had some things that we felt maybe were more six and sevens and so now other things comparatively are getting a stricter note on that yeah i was kind of in the four to five range but i think i would lean to the four like mm-hmm. it's drinkable it's got a different profile to it i don't think that like I love it, though, in the sense of, like, it's an interesting smell, but I also don't like sweet, like, things. It didn't end up tasting sweet, but then it also was very mellowed out. So if you like a rye, you're not getting a lot of the rye punch. After tasting this and knowing that they have a 10-year, I'm more interested in the 10-year to know what that tastes like comparatively. Yeah, this this does feel a little young, a little bit rushed, maybe. 
And so, yeah, you have that aspect of things too. Like maybe this is a two or three year or something and mm-hmm. it's really just beginning to pick up some of those things. Yeah. Two year, two is super young. You know, I guess I will um, uh, say that it's for such a young one. Sometimes you get that like very just green alcohol taste and they don't, they've managed to like do better with that. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I can really taste that legendary mineral water though. (laughs) (laughs) It's legendary to, uh, to someone, to those in um, Rosendale, I guess. It may be just as legendary as the Kentucky limestone water that I was speaking about before, but I don't know. We'll have to, everybody tell us on Twitter if you prefer the legendary New York mineral water or Kentucky mineral water. (laughs) (laughs) Or just plain old Kentucky mineral water. I think that's one of the hot debates. Correct in whiskey? Kentucky or New York mineral water. I might get back on, (laughs) on, I might get back on Twitter just to engage in that. Sounds. (laughs) Yeah. Every time I mention that I'm doing a whiskey podcast, everyone's like, oh yeah, which, which kind of mineral water do you like better? That's the first thing they ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or no mineral whatsoever. You know, I'm sure plenty yeah. of distilleries are not even utilizing limestone water whatsoever. Yeah. That's, it's a, it's a aspect of it. Well, we always talk about the mash bill. We never talk about the water. True. We will start now. Yeah. It begins now. <laughs> Everything that doesn't mention limestone or water quality. We just throw it in the trash. We're going to fervorishly (laughs) just bombard their customer service. We must know the water content, (laughs) mineral content. Is there limestone in your area? All right. Well, as fun as continuing limestone talk is, uh, we're going to move into a a game here, which uh, if you listen to the episode with Wes Boss a few weeks ago, it's going to be similar to that. So um, we have a Rob, Robbie, or both game for Chuck to try to, Look at these different statements and decide, was it me, Rob Carey, or both of us that this thing applies to? All right. So let's just start at the top here. Um, So the first one should be easy if you've been paying attention. Went to Virginia Tech. Uh, Both. Yes, that is correct. This one is a bit more obscure. Is Master's Rank in StarCraft? Oh, Rob Carey. Nope. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, played saxophone in high school. Mm, Robbie. Nope. That's Rob nope. Carey. <laughs> I, I was in a jazz in. band. I, I was yeah. in a jazz band, marching band, and concert band playing saxophone. I have not gotten to know my colleagues very well. <laughs> and then I did not touch the saxophone, I think, after high school, unfortunately. I still own yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, can you still play it? Uh, so I, like, I think the muscle memory is still there. Like I could still probably pick up a couple songs, but yeah, no, I'm not, not a regular. Mm. Yeah. Same. Like I could do a couple things on trumpet, but I don't really remember much. Um, okay. Let's see. Real throwback was an accountant in the second grade play. I mean, how am I supposed to deduce this <laughs> and, or have ever discovered this information? It's only one of you. 50-50 chance out of that. Um, <laughs> Rob Carey looks accountant material. That's both of us. How's that? What? There was More three accountants in a, in a play? This is, yeah. this is how Robbie and I met each other. There was three accountants in the play, and it was me, Robbie, and then another Robbie. All were assigned to be the accountants. Yep. So anyone whose given name is Robert is destined to be a, <laughs> yeah, in I think the that- numbers game. The teachers were not feeling very original at that point. They just were like, oh, the Robbies put them over there. I think we just all were like, I don't care about this play. I don't really want a speaking part. Uh, just give me whatever. And they're like, all right, you can all be this accountant. Yeah. I remember we did get to wear sunglasses. And I think we just had to like walk across the stage and look cool for like 10 seconds. Yep. That was all we had to do. <laughs> um, played in a church basketball league. Both of you. No, it's just me. We thought we would fool you with this one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, one of you looks like you should play basketball and then the other actually does. Well, at the time, like when we were younger, I've looked this height and been exactly like this in sixth grade. So I was like, you know, good at basketball then because everyone else was like four feet tall. And I was like, (laughs) 
Nope. Uh, I guess the listeners <laughs> should know that I am 6'5", which makes it I, I, the obvious choice, I feel there like, for go. anything basketball yeah. related. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because, I mean, that's we, we have to categorize um, everyone. Yes. So it makes sense. And that's great. That's a good detail to point out that, like, not everyone or maybe even most people wouldn't know that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next one is watched all the Die Hard movies in reverse order in one day. That sounds like a Rob Carey move. Both That's of both us. of us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've gotten. I only got the first one right. Yeah, we, uh, we we were on the way to. I was on the way to Florida, right? And we like I believe so, yeah. all in the in the van. <laughs> we were in, we were in a van that had a had a TV, so we somehow started with the last one and then just worked our way backwards, and we did it all yeah. in one day. Yeah, I think we wanted drive. to watch the last one, and then we were like, "Well, I'd like to see the other ones." And since we started with the last one, let's go backwards. <laughs> right, it's logical at the time. Uh, let's see. Plays guitar. Hmm. <laughs> Feel like this is also a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> no, this one's easy. Uh, ooh. All right, I'm gonna just. All right, Robbie Wagner. That's both. That's the more right answer. Yeah, it's right. mostly me. Rob plays a little mostly, bit. Mostly Robbie. I can play like, uh, I learned like power chords, which is like the easiest thing to do. So, and me and Robbie have played guitar together before. So I think that qualifies. I guess so. Yeah. As long as you play more than Smoke on the Water, does it, yeah. does it qualify? As long as you get above that. Then yeah. We just had uh, had some tabs, you know, you can play anything then. Hmm. All right. Last one. Uh, made beats and rapped in college. Yo, 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 that's Rob Carey. That's <laughs> mostly Rob Carey. It's both yeah. of us, though. Uh, so <laughs> the answer to most of these is both of us. Yeah. 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 Well, anyone who comes on to a normal Zoom call on a regular basis and goes, yo, 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 what up? I think that, that person made beats. In okay, that's sure. fair. I didn't think about that. That's fair. Yeah. 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 Rob didn't live with us, but he came over to parties and stuff, and we would like, uh, go to the basin. We had strobe lights going, and and we would make beats down there and and do raps and stuff. And um, we had GarageBand yeah. open, and the only cool thing was we had a strobe light synchronized to any noise you made, so everything instantly became an, a classic because you had the light show already going while you're making the song. Right, right. So, and then you listen to it the next day, and it was awful. But <laughs> yeah, that's besides the point. Right, right. Yeah. Cool in the moment. Well, you know, every hundred songs or so, one would actually be pretty good. But yeah. (laughs) So let's uh, let's discuss some technical things. I mean, one fun fact for the listeners is that uh, Rob used to be a game developer. I'm sure in some ways he still is at heart. Still, yeah, uh, mostly hobbyist now, but uh, definitely like I'm working in Unity almost every day still after work. So. You uh, you pivoting your game to the metaverse? Always. You got to be on top of the (laughs) NFT metaverse. I'm going to have coins in the game. I actually was going to bring this up later, but the new thing right now is decentralized games for this year, which I don't even know what that means. They're trying to bring in this NFT and and Bitcoin technology with blockchain, but for games, and I just, I don't know how, what that means. Yeah, I think it's more of like, so it's like the Web3 umbrella. So utilizing blockchain and trying to decentralize, which means like not keeping user data on servers, but instead in a blockchain, although that is still on a server, right? Because the chain is just, but it's decentralized, not just one server. So it's not one database in one place or. So I would assume the game itself would run on servers though, right? But like any all of your data, like if you get an item or something, that would be on the blockchain. Yeah, I, I just am confused because so the way it works now, say you have an item shop in your game, you buy an item and then on their server, you have access to that item. If it's decentralized, sure, it's on multiple servers, but they still in some way own that. Yeah, so. your your item goes on the ledger and then your ledger is accessible across anywhere in the network, right? So it's not just one thing. So that's where you're basically setting state yeah. But it's like an immutable state. You do a use state NFTs? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Use state. Look wow, at me. I said something a, with React. React hooks. Look at you getting into it. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I can see where there's a place on that. I mean, it's it's not unlike all the other aspects of this Web3 umbrella of things. Yeah. It's not a random JPEG, so. But then it yep. is, maybe, because you bought a thing. It's just an NFT. It's an item. Yeah, yep. still working in Unity, writing C-sharp code. It's mm-hmm. good. I actually really enjoy it, so it's been nice. Okay. You know, I mean, somebody has to. <laughs> I, like, I like playing games. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Been playing a lot of Halo. Okay. Not decentralized Halo. Microsoft servers. Mm-hmm. That's next. Yeah. Halo coins. Yeah. So uh, Syntax does this game they call Stumped. Um, and they just go through and do like JavaScript interview questions and pick random ones that they think the other person won't know and see if they know what the answer is. So you could do a couple rounds of that if you want. Okay. You want to set up a whiteboard first and... Mm-mm. <laughs> okay. All right. I got one for Chuck. So it's not on this list, but I have a question that I always enjoy asking people. Oh, okay. Is just, to... okay, so Chuck, working from the element outward, can you name all of the properties in the CSS box model? No, not anymore. <laughs> I don't really do any CSS anymore. I've on purpose forgot all of those things. So I the will question tell you is can you name any of the things in the box model? I mean, box model properties, aren't they like margin and padding are part of the box model? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I can, I know those. I remember all of that stuff way back in the day. And then, yeah. It's just element padding, margin or border margin. And then if you want to get real fancy, then outline after that. Hmm. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, there we go. So I didn't do so bad. Yeah, you got the important ones. Yeah, I think so. All right. So, Robbie Wagner, what is memoization? <laughs> Pass. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I've had to like go through that with some like hooks stuff recently. So, I don't know. it's fine. That's fair. Yeah. Isn't it something about. No, I'm just going to make myself look dumb if I even try to talk it out. So, I'm going to say, nope. Next one. <laughs> Capturing the previously computed results and only making a change, basically, if the inputs change. Or yeah, I was like going to say something. the function if the inputs change, yeah. Something about, like, caching. But, yeah, I didn't know. So I was like, I don't want to say caching and then be wrong, so I'm just going to not say anything. All right, here's one that used to be in when I actually would just, like, ask question, like, all these JavaScript programming questions and in interviews back in the day. What are closures? Is that for me? Yeah. You passed, so you get another um, question. Yeah. No, closures are easy. It's just like wrapping something in a function to like keep the scope contained to that function. So like if you want to have like a this.foo and like iterate it and increase that value or whatever, you can do that again the closure. Without affecting outside scopes. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right, I think you're up now. You win. Let me do open my console up and do a math.random. <laughs> can appreciate that i thought you were going to do something like what is the boolean value of not empty array <laughs> string mm-hmm. he's got a sorting algorithm for you to <laughs> no. all right 31 let's see what is a service worker rob carey service worker mm-hmm. i mean i'm just thinking in terms of services if it's an actual it's like javascript a guy that serves you your lunch right that's service worker yeah, yeah. The, uh, I had a service worker deliver me a delicious salad today. Was it a Dasher or a Uber Eatser? Uber Eatser, yes. Mm. But yeah, no. Uh, it's basically what you use to like run progressive web apps and like cache stuff when you're offline and stuff. Yeah, you want to have not non-blocking functions within JavaScript loads. You can they run in the background. It's like multi-threading mm. for the browser. Got it. Yeah, Chuck with the better answer, but yeah. <laughs> Once again, proving who's the smartest one on this podcast. <laughs> I should be careful. I'm going to get a really bad question. <laughs> really oh, yeah, like, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's Rob's turn since we, he was just called on. Okay, so I don't even know if this is in the list, but from when you type in a URL in the browser and push enter, can you describe in detail, as much detail <laughs> as possible, all the steps that happen until you see the page? 
Well, first of all, a jerk asks you a question and then you hit the button. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it would have to go first to uh, DNS service to interpret the uh, URL to the IP address of the endpoint. And then it would go there and get, well, it would have to get routed by some kind of like routing server like Nginx or whatever else so that it knows what kind of thing it's supposed to serve up, interpret that, take any inputs, run functions, generate pages, whatever it has to do, and then send that back to the user. And I guess it would be, well, that would actually be part of like the request headers, I guess, the return location. I'm sure I'm forgetting some things. I'm going to give you that as my high-level answer. No, that's good. I feel like you did good. Yeah. I feel like the fun stuff is really once it gets routed to someone, then you have your load balancers, your caching servers, yeah. like all that kind of stuff. But Yeah, I could have uh, approached cache, and I was just like, no one really understands cache, so uh, I'm not going to. It's what you spend. Whatever answer that's I That's money, right? Yeah, it rules everything yeah. around me, but <laughs> you know, outside of that, it's kind of see if I could find I have an old note. I mean, like, oh, yeah, I used to ask, explain how prototypical inheritance works. And no, you don't have to answer that. Prototypical? What kind of a jerk was I? Prototypical. Prototypical? Yeah. yeah. It's apparently how it Prototypical. Um, oh, like old stuff, like what are the pros and cons of using promises instead of callbacks? We don't. Async await. Um, what is type of null? Yeah, that's, that is Robbie, one of Robbie's favorite. Um, okay, let me... Can we just say async await is one of the best inventions in JavaScript? Mm. Oh, in, yeah. In recent times. I mean, even like promises have been great too. Because like before, oh, I yeah. did a little bit of JavaScript before all that. And it was just like... Callback hell. Yeah. Seven layers deep of callbacks. And you're yeah, like, before no native promises. What, what was the library that everyone uses? Like uh, Bluebird, Jaybird, something like that? Blue Jay. Blue Jay. Blue Jay. Yes. Right. Mm. Not safe for work. Um, can you describe the main difference between a for each loop and a map loop and why you would pick one versus the other? Well, so a map is going to return an array. So if you want to modify it and change it, I mean, you can do that. For each, if you just want to loop over data, but you don't, want to re you don't necessarily want to return, you just need to do something with the set of data. So you have items or something, you just need to loop over and get some values or whatever. In that case, yeah. I mean, that would be the main difference, I think. It's just based on if you need data afterwards or not. Yeah, one mutates and one doesn't. One returns a new array and one mutates the existing. I mean, basically what you described. Cool. There you go. Finally busted those out again. Don't neither of them mutate? Uh, like a, a for loop would mutate, wouldn't it? Because you would be looping through an existing. You don't return a new array. You would be changing the existing or items. Well, only if you were changing it in the for loop. If you weren't changing right. it, you were just doing like, I don't know, setting something else. Sure. Yeah, I guess you could loop over it and do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could. <laughs> I mean, like so when I console log my items every time I'm debugging something. <laughs> so maybe like one returns a new array and one doesn't. There you go. The simpler answer. Yeah. I just always loop through my items and call other people's random APIs just to make their server costs higher for fun. Nice. Just not, just not our serverless functions, you know, it's all no. on usage. All right. Uh, so Rob gets yeah. to ask Robbie, Last I one, guess, Rob. at this point. Yeah. Oh, I get to ask good. you one? Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah, let's pick a random one here. Oh, this is a good question for Robbie. I've, I've got it. Okay. Why do you need JSON? <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's kind of a vague question, but um, I guess I'm trying to think. I mean, you don't really, you need it sometimes for like, if you want to like JSON stringify like an object and save it to a database or something. And so then you can like unstringify it. Um, but like a JSON object is just the same as a JavaScript object. Basically, it just doesn't have all the same types in it. Am I allowed to see the answers here? Oh, here we go. It's a lightweight format used for data interchanging. So yeah, basically what you said, I think it's more just for... JavaScript objects as a way to serialize and unserialize them in a consistent manner. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I didn't really write a lot of notes up, but uh, one thing I think <laughs> you uh, you still are a fan of like IntelliJ stuff, right, Rob? Or oh yeah, definitely. Converted. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you like 
about like WebStorm versus like, I'm assuming you've tried VS Code and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I have. And honestly, it's the same as, I don't know, it's the same as every time I try something else. Like I tried Atom and and other, that I, I feel like they're more lightweight, like almost closer to text editors than they are IDEs in some ways. And I know that mm-hmm. they have plugins that you can do things and they have, they have powerful features. Like VS Code or Atom at the time, I think was the one, first one to do like multi-select so you could like change a variable in multiple lines or something at the same time. But I just have always found IntelliJ, I, it just, how my brain works, it makes sense for working on an app. I mean, you can run it, it checks your dependencies for you, tells you if you need to update, like say I do a pull and someone's updated a dependency, it'll tell me, so I don't need to just run yarn install every single time. The debugging tools are really great, so you can put breakpoints even on server side or on front end really easily and tie it into the browser. The testing, it, it just detects your frameworks. It's just, it's a, basically all of those things combined. There's not one single thing that is my favorite, but all those things combined are what just keeps me around. Gotcha. broke. <laughs> and also it was, I think it was one of the first that had uh, dark mode like built in. And mm-hmm. that was instantly the thing that was like, okay, I'm staying here. Right. Yeah. I started out doing all IntelliJ stuff uh, and I used WebStorm for at least half of my professional career. I don't know. I guess VS Code is not all that new or I don't know. How long did maybe a couple of years? I don't know. It seems or at least it like caught fire a couple of years ago. Cause I was going to say VS Code is one of the few examples I've seen of, I feel like an IDE that's really universally been adopted really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Adam had like a short, period of uh, people were really into it. It took me a long time to get off of Sublime Text. I was on Sublime Text for quite some time. Yeah. Text Wrangler for a bit before that. I think the the downfall of IntelliJ is that like all their stuff is very specific. Like WebStorm mm-hmm. is for, you know, JavaScript only mostly. Like you can do whatever you want in it, but it's mainly for JavaScript. And then they have like, you know, PHP Storm, which is like for PHP. Um, whereas VS Code is like, you know, do every language in here, just download a plugin for it. Yeah. So you're using like one app. Yeah. Right. And that might be a business decision by them because honestly, at this point, I've learned so many hotkeys in WebStorm that like when I go to Rider, which is their C sharp IDE, I, it just carries over immediately. I can use the exact same hotkey. So I'm, I'm not going to mm-hmm. switch, obviously, but that's better for them because, you know, now they're getting two subscription payments from me per month instead of <laughs> one. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, I use the, um, there's a package for VS Code that lets you do the hotkeys from IntelliJ. So yeah, okay. I use that. Thanks. So I don't know any of the VS Code hotkeys. People are like, oh, what's the hotkey for this? I'm like, I have no idea. You have to ask yeah. someone else. <laughs> no, and I tried to That's do funny. Visual Studio when I was doing Unity at first, but not knowing the hotkeys really was a killer for me. Because I was like, I'm so much more productive in my own, in what I know. And so mm-hmm. like, I didn't want to relearn everything. So it's reasonable. A couple of times where I've uh, wanted to switch to Vim because I saw people that are very productive in Vim. Oh, like yeah. Able to like set it up really cool. I could never get there and get frustrated after a day or two. And you're just like, nope. Yeah. I, I, I've had aspirations a couple of times to try to do like all keyboard based everything. Just never use a mouse. And even for like normal applications and stuff, just you know, av- navigate through everything in your dock with like tab or arrows or whatever. And like, I don't know, it's a lot of people do it and they swear by it, but I'm, my brain would take so long to adjust to that. that I just, no, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's very uh, ambitious to go to yeah. everything. Yeah. No longer you master Vim pros though. Oh man. I worked with a guy that was all Vim. It's, I mean, he's plugged in the matrix. It's incredible. Yeah, it's probably true. He's definitely on the blockchain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, I remember the presentation that Torin did at EmberConf. Like, do you remember that one, Chuck? Where he did like tons of Vim stuff and it was just moving everything around everywhere and like instant everything. We're like, whoa, that's so yeah. impressive. You're, you're a better developer than us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The funny thing is, though, the guy that I worked with that was all Vim, I hope he's not listening to this, was not the best developer, <laughs> but, but his Vim skills were top-notch. Yeah, if that guy is listening, it's not about you. It's about someone else. Yeah, <laughs> right, it's not you. It was well, a different skill worker. <laughs> what, what is the possibility that someone's going to remember that they worked with you, that they used 
and currently use Vim. I guess you wouldn't move away from it. And then they're going to think I'm the one, of course. <laughs> and that they're one of the few hundred people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> and that as well. Yeah. <laughs> would be, that would be fantastic. He's so, going to text me tomorrow. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of games and other hobbies and whatnot, I know us three have started to dig into the VR world. Sort of, mm-hmm. sort of the metaverse, sort of a thing. Yeah, right, wait, so we did the the VR happy hour thing mm-hmm. uh, last week. Wagner, was that your first time in like a VR social like space before? Yeah, and I have to say, while it was extremely fun, I was very like nauseous afterwards, mm-hmm. like dizzy mm-hmm. and not not feeling good. Interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed it because I was I was just kind of like listening to your reactions and I was like, I remember the reactions you were having were things that I'd like had, you know, two years ago when I first started doing VR stuff. <laughs> and um, so it's funny okay. just like, because I think VR, like the first time I tried VR, the development kit one for Oculus, which was, I don't even remember, like whatever, eight years ago. Um, first time I tried it, I was like, this is the future. Absolutely is the future. But some of the issues it had then still are issues now. Things like locomotion in games like moving around a very mm. essential part of a game is still like you get anyone in a game and they have to move forward but their brain is telling them they're sitting still it that disconnect just is going to cause issues and, yeah, and it's, yeah. it still has yet to be figured out so yeah it's interesting the treadmill. right <laughs> i don't know how you move around with that and then you just have to use a lot of the stick for movement versus like yeah. just walking around but yeah, I actually played some rec room last night with my brother. We decided to do some disc golf. Nice. It was kind of fun. I mean, it was a little weird, but fun. Uh, tried that and tried um, a couple of other things. There was one called like, uh, it was like a Rise of the Jumbotron. And then you're on a roller coaster and then trying to shoot these like little Jumbotron robots. That one would have made you sick. <laughs> well, I was using a sword and shield in that one game. And then you would have to like turn left and hit stuff and move around and then like turn right and hit stuff and doing all of that, like constantly moving around. Yeah. And then you didn't actually go anywhere. Yeah. Your brain is just like, nope, didn't like Wait, that. So, Robbie, were you physically turning or were you using the stick to turn your character? I was physically turning. So it'd okay. be like it wasn't far enough to need to turn with the stick. So I'd t- turn a little bit and hit stuff over to the left a little. And then like they were around me. But if I had turned fully with the stick, it would have been too far. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because I I find that moving is a little uncomfortable at first, but you get used to it. I thought I always found that if rotating, like if you use a stick to rotate like, you know, 45 degrees or something, that was what made me not feel good. And if I physically Mm -hmm. rotate, it's fine. But if I use the stick to virtually rotate, that's what throws me off. Well, I was also sitting down, so I should probably do standing up so I can like actually Mm -hmm. turn fully around. Yeah. yeah, standing is key. It's nice to have like a bit of space and yeah. then, but then you're standing. That's so another one of my <laughs> things with VR that I think needs to be looked at is uh, most people play games to relax and VR, I feel like is best experience standing, but it wears you out really quick. And it's something that you can only do for, you know, 30 or 45 minutes at a time before you're tired. And yeah, you know, that's, that's hard to pitch to people who would just want to relax and, you know, sit on the couch or whatever. If, oh, by the way, you're going to exercise for 30 minutes now. Plus, my battery will almost die after an hour every time, <laughs> yeah. too. So it's like you make it to an hour. I'm my brow is sweaty. I wasn't doing too much, but like, I guess that thing stuck to your face. I don't know. And uh, and then the battery starting to die. That was my problem with the Wii when it came out. Like, stuff like bowling or Wii sports and stuff was really fun. But then normal games, like if you had a there weren't a ton of them because Nintendo never has the main games and stuff. But if you had Call of Duty or something, like mm. trying to shoot and like move all around and point at stuff is just, I want to lay back and just use a controller. Like that's what most right. people want. I forgot there was, there, there was a Call of Duty, I think, or something that There's was like of Honor for Wii that, cool. that was like you had to point um, around. I mm. forgot about that. Yeah. There's a Medal of Honor that it looks very appealing to me. And like when I watch the trailer, but it also seems like really hard and. I had I, I own it. I have not played it yet. Mm. I just so have we'll the, the the Vader Immortal games. Those mm. were also a little bit exhausting when some of those fights and but pretty fun. But some of the things you can do on VR, you could just never do in a traditional game. Like when we were playing, 
or happy hour we played uh pictionary basically where you drew in, in 3d space in front of you and then everyone guessed but like the fact you could pick up a card throw it away grab another card if you didn't like the word um the th- the drawing was 3d like in a in a traditional game that interaction of picking up a card and then throwing it away and then grabbing another one or like grabbing two cards at the same like you would have to code each of those individually and in vr it's just you grab you just code the interaction of i'm picking up a card and then they throw it and you just use the velocity of their hand for you know handling so it's much more natural in that sense so there's a lot of things about vr that are just so you could never do in a traditional game that are just so you know nice and and I don't know. I, th- I think the technology has a ton of promise. There's just fundamental issues that still are being worked on that I think need yeah. to be fixed. And as a remote company, I think that it's not even just about like the interaction and gaming aspect of it. Although like that was pretty fun. But like Rob and I did a one on one in the what is it, a Horizon workrooms or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, sitting next to each other, looking at our avatars. And, yeah, you know, talking about like oh, I'm gonna this, this, this. Yeah. I thought that was pretty nice because it's obviously yeah, it was, that, that was, we get to I do. I actually really enjoyed that because it was, I mean, you, you're in a physical meeting room. You're with another person's avatar. So it feels like you're in a meeting. You have your, they have a tool so you can have your computer screen in VR with you. And then like, I can throw my screen up on the, the whiteboard in front of us. Like you would share a screen in Zoom and we can both see it. So it was just, it's interesting. because I mean, it feels like a real meeting, but obviously it's all virtual. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think for that, that really helps with Zoom fatigue and stuff because you can't see yourself anymore. It's like a normal meeting sitting there. And yeah, you wouldn't be as nauseous from something like that as, you know, moving around in a game and stuff. Yeah. And especially I think that one, you also include your your desk is you, you scan in your desk and you have your laptop. So you have physical items in the virtual world. So you're basically doing the actions you're doing in VR, the same ones that you're doing in real life. So there's no, I don't, I feel like there's no motion sickness issues that there at, at all. So. So can you see through, like, does it video your computer so you can type and stuff on it? Or yeah. It's, it only supports some keyboards, but like one of them was, is MacBook pros. And so you do your MacBook pro and then the cameras on the Oculus, just find the MacBook pro on your desk and it just puts it virtually there. And then once your hands, your you don't use the controllers. It's do using the hand tracking. Once your hands get close to the keyboard, it turns on the uh, the pass through view where you can see your physical hands like through the the goggles on mm-hmm. the keyboard. So it, you're basically like in VR, but then as you get closer, you can see your real hands in case you're like you know not lined up a hundred percent or whatever. That's nice. Yeah, it is really cool. And then your desk is there. You scan your desk in with the the controller and stuff. So yeah, you can like. It's weird when you touch something in VR, but you physically are touching something in real life. Like that sensation is very strange. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have a feature request for all VR platforms that you recognize like a cup or a can of soda or something and let me pick that up and drink it while I'm in <laughs> VR. <laughs> like you can't find that when you're in a game. Right. Or if you were in this like you know, virtual work situation, having a meeting and during said meeting, you want to have a drink of water. Yeah. Yeah. True. Hot tip. There is a setting in the quest to menus that you can double tap the side of your headset and it activates pass through. So <laughs> you, that's the best of like for happy hour. I did that. And you could just tap, tap, grab your drink, oh, tap, man. tap, you're back in VR. Yeah. Oh, I that's had no nice. idea. I'll have to turn yeah. that on. That's a pro tip right there. <laughs> It's nice. I don't know what we could ever, I mean, we aren't doing C-sharp programming, so I don't know that we would ever be able to create something, some application for VR, but who knows, I guess. We'll make the NFTs for it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We're going to set up the blockchain for the DeFi VR game <laughs> or experience. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're far away from like the the sandbox alpha and where people can like Know, build whatever they want on their land and stuff. We're not far from just never taking VR goggles off and living and working in there because you can make money or make coins from doing things in there or like viewing ads or whatever. So mm-hmm. why would you ever take your goggles off? Are you saying you have sandbox land? I wish I did. It costs Is too it much to money. Snoop Dogg though. Yeah, well, they they did some sales and I I went on and I I didn't have enough 
Ethereum anyway, but all of my money was in Ethereum and you had to have sand. And I was like, mm. okay, well, I don't have time to convert it to sand before it's all sold. But yeah, Did it you was, go to the beach they were going for some? like, huh? <laughs> Did you go to the beach and grab some? <laughs> yeah, I'm not just sure, get a big bucket of, of sand from the beach. That's probably worth 20 grand, just like the sand is. Let's NFT a yeah. bucket of sand and call and sell it as sand. <laughs> okay. So I, I think, I mean, I'm sure you can try that. You can definitely put photos of anything you want up and create an yeah. NFT. It's about like creating demand though. I think the difference is, is like, it's not an arbitrary JPEG, even when it's an arbitrary JPEG, it's, well, there's been a whole bunch of marketing and project support behind it that it's now created this desire and need. And then some of them give you real world benefit. We could do like the mass one that you have. Mm-hmm. But do, so you have a bucket of sand, right? In real life. And every time someone buys a sand NFT, we like dump a few grains of sand out. And like at the bottom, there's like a diamond or something. Like whoever gets the last one gets that one. Or okay, I see. That would be interesting. First of all, we got to invest in a diamond. Well, <laughs> I mean, if everyone buys the NFTs, we could buy, you know, a country. <laughs> it certainly appears that way. I don't know where yeah. all the, the network cash goes and stuff. But I mean, that mass project sold a lot. What was it? $92 million or something. Yeah. I mean, there's all these stories of like, you know, this 12 year old kid did some art and put it up as NFTs and made $3 million. And I'm like, okay, I need to do something different. (laughs) You need the kind of time a 12 year old kid has, first of all, it's part of it. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe I should just hire a 12 year old kid and I'll give them a hundred grand to make me millions of dollars. (laughs) Maybe Probably watching Ninja or yeah. playing Minecraft or something. They're making NFTs nowadays. I'm yeah, sure they probably are. Mm. I mean, Adidas made NFTs, for example. Um, was it like uh, Pepsi did NFTs? Mm-hmm. I don't really. Everyone. These are all Macy's. Yeah. Thanksgiving oh, yeah. parade. Yeah, they did them too. Were those an auction one? The rare ones were auctioned, but they had like thirty thousand free or something. I got oh, one okay. of the free ones. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because I noticed some of those brands they do those large drops, but they're I, they're auction ones, and it's like why well, stand no chance, you know, against somebody with a ton of money. But I assuming that everybody wants those things. I don't know. I mean, what's the floor price on the Macy's free ones? Uh, who knows? Because every time some big company does that, they're also like, let's put out our own NFT marketplace. So it's not like I can look it up on OpenSea or something. Mm. It's I uh, I don't even know what theirs are. Yeah, right. honestly, right. I would have to look through my like internet history to find it because I have no recollection of what it's called. It's probably like yeah. Macy's.nft. We're cool too. Dot com. <laughs> that code UK. Yeah. Hey Macy's, you are cool. <laughs> so, Rob, any other hobbies that you have outside of gaming, making games, doing games, no, working games. Uh, with us? I mean, so I mean. Yeah, I mean, I'm a dad. That's like all my time outside of games and WebStorm. That's pretty much it. Did you take Emmy out in the snow today? Oh, absolutely. She loved it. She We put nice. her on her back in the snow, and she was like sticking her tongue out trying to catch snowflakes. I was like, it was the cutest thing. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. It's true. As a recent dad, that basically takes up all of your sleep. Mm-hmm. All of your sleep time, for sure. But we're talking about number two, so it can't be... It wasn't the end of the world. You heard it here first. <laughs> I have these theories, though. For some reason, like you forget, like you go through you, it. Yeah, you definitely once you get past it, and then you kind of forget, and you're like, "Oh wait, you're adorable and easy now. I should do this again." I almost wondered. Do you think that might be like an evolutionary thing of blocking out like this terrible experience because it's just part of your genetic code to just make more humans to procreate? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. It's got to be. Yeah, we I mean, it applies to not humans as well. Like, you know, we have two dogs, got them both as puppies and puppies are terrible. Like, it's the same thing there. You know, any baby of like mammal is cute and all of us think it's cute. And then, yeah, you forget how terrible they are because they're cute. And then once you get past that phase, they're not terrible. And you're like, oh, yeah, this wasn't that bad. 
But yeah, it's definitely it's all a scam. It, it is still terrible. Yeah, you've been. It's not a scam. My daughter is not a scam. <laughs> no, yeah, you're, but your but your your dogs as as babies that is a scam. Yes, I, I definitely True. believe that. There's been an, an evolution in that marketplace that has like changed the positioning of like pets to become a part of the family, um, mm. and it works. Like, there's yeah. lots of that now. Yeah. True. Those are all my conspiracy theories around the pet industry, though. Now, outside of that, uh, my wife and I watch a lot of we do a lot. Of, so we don't watch a lot of traditional TV shows, but we watch a lot of uh, a lot of YouTube um, channels that are like interesting. And then also we watch a lot of Twitch, which is related to gaming. But I was talking to you guys about this before, but the relation to web development with Twitch is actually it, they kind of go hand in hand because I don't think most people know this, but the software you use when you stream is this software called OBS, which I think stands for Open Broadcaster Software, but it, it basically captures your webcam, it captures whatever you're playing. But one of the things is a browser source. And so when like someone, uh, you get a notification, someone donates money, someone follows you, uh, basically what's happening is there's a web page that has a WebSocket connection or, or something to the Twitch API. They get a notification and then the web page displays a notification, but they're just showing that over top of their stream and the, the background of the web page is transparent. So they just show that over top. But I always thought that was interesting because there's so I feel like there's so many use cases there for ways you could integrate web stuff into live entertainment. Like a service worker? Yeah, <laughs> service worker. <laughs> it's mostly used for notifications, but um, I've always thought like, how could you tie it into like esports for statistics? How could you tie it into... Like, in, so every Twitch stream has a chat going at the same time. And you could basically, I know some streamers have, they grab some of the uh, emotes being used in the chat and we'll show them live over top of the stream. So like, if you're watching, and you don't have chat enabled, you can still like get a feel for what the, the consensus or chat is doing just based on what is showing up on screen because they're showing the chat emotes at the same time and, and stuff like that. Interesting. I wonder if you could like apply like a sentiment analysis API to the chat stream and then like have some sort of rating over time. Like where is the sentiment of the chat? Oh What's yeah. Happening? Yeah. Yeah. Over the pandemic, I think it grew like 60% in 2020. And I don't think they released numbers for this year yet, but Twitch viewership, I mean, you're talking the average, it's not uncommon to see people over 50 to a hundred thousand people like live watching concurrently um, for one streamer, which is, insane to me is you basically have a college football stadium watching you know somebody playing a video game but at the, at the end of the day they're an entertainer but yeah they're, they're just playing a video game i've heard of a decent amount of like uh, i mean not a lot probably like a handful but i'm sure many people do it uh live coding on twitch i'm gonna go on mm. twitch and do some live coding for a couple of hours oh yeah fifty thousand people don't watch that yeah probably not <laughs> it's a different audience thing but I mean, there is a entire budding culture of make makers and there's a lot of demand yeah. for makers. So, I mean, they do everything they had. Uh, they do live coding. There's people who make video games. There's people who do art. There's obviously video games, but there's even stuff like uh, past few years. There's been a couple cases of like Twitch plays Pokemon where mm -hmm. chat can input like, you know, a uh, they're playing like Game Boy Pokemon. Chat can input like up, down, left, right, A, B, whatever. Whatever, uh, say in 10 seconds, whatever the prevailing chat message is, that's the action that takes place in the game. And so basically over time, like over hours and hours, Twitch chat is playing the game. And like they've beaten multiple games. I think they've beaten, I know they've beaten Pokemon. I want to say they've beaten maybe like some crazy stuff like Dark Souls and like some really hard games. But yeah, it's just Dark Twitch Souls chat live feed. <laughs> yeah, like... But but I mean that's that's almost equivalent to over hundreds of hours randomness at some point is gonna do anything so that's that's almost what it comes down to it's just a little bit of consensus because you have all these people most of them are attempting to do the right thing but any open platform you're gonna have people that are just trying to mess it up so oh yeah it's just mach machine learning over time right yeah. put in the inputs 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 and it takes the majority of. I just find it interesting. It's a very uh, growing field. That and, and esports is also growing extremely fast. You have people like Robert Kraft, who owns um, the Patriots. He owns an esports e team. 
like you have big names investors getting into it and it's just, it's just i've heard of some colleges like spinning up esports teams oh yeah i think they have scholarships for them now yeah yeah, yeah. they probably make more money than football players in some cases <laughs> the uh the threat of injury is definitely lower so then no the carpal tunnel is real i was gonna say those <laughs> wrist sprains can get really intense <laughs> for college college kids come on yeah, I mean, wrist. <laughs> I'm not that old, arguably, and my wrists are. You're shot talking to, to a master StarCraft player. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes, master StarCraft player. I don't know what that amounts to, but that's like I think what is that second high le- highest level? Yeah, but what it amounts to is we accidentally won like our. So you have placement matches, right? And we won like most of those, so it ranked us really high, and then. We weren't really that good. So, like, if we, we've been losing more than we should now. But, like, yeah, we got artificially ranked really high. Did they, like, reset the rank? That rank. <laughs> so, so there's a side question there I wasn't necessarily aware of. This is a recent thing. I thought, oh, yeah. StarCraft is like a 20-year-old game, and we were playing it. You better believe it. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. There's still a community around that. Yeah. Oh, there's Me and our friend have, Thomas yeah. are... And then, uh, like, you know, 20 people in Korea and, um, you know, there's probably a few hundred people that play. Fair. Okay. Those servers still running. I'm surprised. Yeah. Diablo 2 was running until recently. Until I guess they re-released Diablo 2. So. Yeah, I think there's a lot of games that are like, they will be old enough that the company will shut down the servers for them, but the community will build their own server clients to continue the game running and then run it themselves. Like the level of dedication for video games is outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. That I believe for sure. Yeah. Hellgate did that a long time. I used Mm. to play that, but anyway, we're about at an hour here and we're going really far out of the realm of what people probably (laughs) care about us talking about. So, uh, thanks everybody for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.